truth of the matter is we've got a branding problem as Christians. We, uh, the world out there, um, they don't like us very much. I wonder why that is sometimes. I think about that a lot uh, because I want to be liked. Uh, very few people get into the pastor game who don't want to be liked. It's a, true, it's a sad fact, but it's a true fact. Um, most people who are uh, in church ministry uh, tend to be pleasers. Um, that's just kind of the, the nature of the beast, um, and, and that's just sort of how it works. It's one of the things that uh, a lot of people think about when they're trying to minister to pastors and stuff. But uh, I, I, like, I want to be liked, and I want people to know that this place is a place of love. I do. In fact, I feel like, uh, I, sometimes I feel like Christians, we, we talk so much about love precisely because we're trying to avoid the branding problem. Because if you think about it, the Christian message is kind of a hard sell. Because uh, it kind of starts out with us saying something like this. The world's a really messed up place, buddy, and you're part of the problem. Uh, and which is weird for our culture, because our culture is, is, is a place where it's like, oh, you're so pretty. You're so good at everything. Do you like yourself because you should? And Christians come along and are like, actually, no, the world's a corrupt, dark, evil place. And um, yeah, as it turns out, it's kind of your fault. <laughs> um, and I, mean, I know that you'd like to see it ter- get better, of course. Um, but there's going to need to be some things. And so good news, good news, God loves you. Right? We like to jump to that part, the love part, because that's, that's happy news. Hey, you're loved, God loves you. And so it, it seems to me that one of the reasons Christians talk so much about love is that we're, we're, we're trying to deal with this branding problem. We're trying to deal with this, this inconvenient truth, as it were, that our message is kind of a tough sell. Um, and we're going we're gonna to do some, uh, some kind of interesting stuff with the scripture today, but in the back of your mind, I want you to think about this question. Why is love so important? Why? Why are Christians always talking about love? What makes it so important? Uh, because as you can see right there, in our, in our sort of, at least for me, my day-to-day way of speaking about love, it's, it's to deal with a branding problem. It's not because I have some deep, really understanding of, of why love matters or what it is necessarily. It's that I want people to know that I'm not you know, an intolerant bigot or whatever it is that people think I am. Now, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that we've been in, the, the, in 1 John. Um, and 1 John is generally known as a book about love. And so every week, um, our, our, our uh, regular worship pastor, Doug, he's um, in, in Haiti on a missions trip right now. But he, he's a big fan of love. He, he's a loving guy. He's got a big, generous heart. And so he's been really disappointed with the series because we haven't really talked about love that much. He's like, love, it's all over 1 John. I mean, there's a song that, that, we, that he and I both memorized as kids about 1 John 4, 7, and 8 and how we should love each other and everyone who loves is from God and knows God. And he who loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Love, 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 love. It's all over 1 John, Tom, isn't it? How come you're not telling us about it? Can you get to the good stuff? So for, sadly for Doug, he's not here. We're, we're going to start talking about Doug's uh, love today. Uh, he's going to have to listen to it um, uh, on the, the, the website or follow us on live stream because, uh, yeah, he's not here. Uh, but it's interesting because um, we, we just actually last week, we just were dealing with, uh, we're, John's about to move into his love section, right? Um, but he has this, this controversial uh, s- slice of text that we dealt with last week. And, and for a long time, people have been thinking uh, in terms of this slice of text as like whether or not it's about, you know, who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, and all stuff like that. And we found out last week it's really not. 
It's really not. When you, when you actually get into the, um, into the, the Greek and, and, and then the, the grammar, we had some really exciting grammar lessons last week, which we won't repeat. Um, uh, we find that actually what's going on in John's congregation, John's a minister, he's in uh, Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, and his church has undergone a split. He's been ministering, and some people have come in, and they've, um, and they, they, they've said, hey, look, whatever's going on with this Jesus fellow... He certainly isn't a representation of God. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Son of God. He's not the one through whom we have access to the Father. Whatever Jesus is, I'm against it. In fact, if if God is Jesus' Father, I don't want anything to do with that God. And that's what these people did. We have a a, a sermon on it from a couple months ago. You can go listen to it if you want to catch up. But they had these these heresies about Jesus, and, and and some of the people in the church were like, hmm, you know, maybe they'd come to the church and they were interested in this whole Jesus thing. And then these other people were telling, and, the, and so the church split up. And these people went off, and they're, they're likely um, termed antichrists, uh, against Christ. That's uh, literally against Christ. Because they, um, they, they, they just, it has nothing to do with Jesus, that's not God. And we found out that the people in the church of Ephesus had a very specific understanding of, of this as, quote-unquote, the sin, the rebellion. And I, I, I capitalize it. We'll see it in the text in a second. I capitalize that S, because it's like the big thing. If there's one thing you don't want to do, you don't want to be faced with Jesus and say, not him. That's the big bad one. And then John, we know uh, last week, we said there's another thing that happens. It's called the righteousness, the righteous act, the ultimate act that, that you can do that's right. And that is to look at Jesus and recognize that he is the image of God, that he is the son of God. He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. That if you commit that, if you've done that, then you're a child of God, that you're, you're on God's team, you're, you're sealed, you've got his life living in you. All you've got to do is do that. And once you've done that, once you've done that, then you are a Christian. Now, because we've been looking at this text wrong for so long, it's really more of a, since the Protestant Reformation mostly, but uh, because it's always been looked at this way, I think it's fascinating that we've almost, I think, missed the point of this text. Because we're so concerned about, is this heaven? Who's, going, who's a child of God? Am I in? Am I out? Did I, I sin too much to get into heaven? Because we've been worried about that. We've been missing what John's actually talking about. And so today we're going to find out what he's actually talking about. And... I think it's going to have implications not only for how we view love, but how we live our lives, what we do this week. I think it's going to have implications for things like politics. I think it has implications for every aspect of life if we start to understand what John's really talking about. So it's a, it's a chunk of text today, but let's, let's get into it. Uh, this is my translation. Um, if you're, well, I'm not going to worry too much about uh, explaining changes I've made to older uh, versions today, uh, just because we've got a lot of text to deal with. But I'm always open to your questions. If you ever want to know why I make the choices I make, I'm happy to talk about them. Um, but this, this is my translation. Anyone who commits this, the sin, rejects Jesus, originates from the devil, is from the devil, since the devil sinned from the very start. You might even have that sin as a capital S, because, I mean, think about the devil's original sin. It was, no God, my way, not yours. Um, The Son of God was made manifest. Jesus came, he was incarnated for this reason, to destroy the devil's works. Those born from God don't commit the sin. They've got God's life in them. They They can't commit the sin because they're God born. They're already in. And this is how the children of God and the children of of the devil are revealed. The one who does not commit that righteous act of recognizing Christ is not from God, including the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the start. Love one another. 
Don't be like Cain. He originated from the evil one. He murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? He did it because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So don't be shocked, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We're not going to um, finish the text just yet. We're going to wait a little bit so we can understand what's, what's going on here. But at the very beginning, if you're, if you're reading this text, if you're in Ephesus and you're hearing this, you're not sitting there going, am I, am I a child of God? You know you're a child of God. You've got the Apostle John right there. He's been your preacher. He knew, he knew Jesus. So like, clearly this guy knows what's up. You're not worried about that. Instead, you're paying attention to a lot of different language. And this is actually the first thing in your note sheets. Just a, a, a basic gloss of the language. Just look at this. 1 John 3 is not about who does or doesn't go to heaven. It's about a cosmic war. If, if you're reading this text and you're not worried about who's going to heaven and who's not, and you're actually reading it and, or listening to it the way that they did in Ephesus, what pops out at you? What's the language that's like, whoa, right there, right in your face? Uh, let's, let's take a look at a few of those, those pieces. Um, Anyone originates from the devil. The devil sinned from the very start. Hey, I know we don't like to talk about it in contemporary America, but there is an enemy, and he's really bad. He's out there. And, and look at this. He's got people who are from him, that, that kind of are empowered by his power. They live his life, and, and they're following his stuff, his, the way that he did things. Jesus, what did he come to do? He came to destroy the devil's works. The, the enemy has had complete control of the universe for so long, and now Jesus comes in and starts breaking chains. And in fact, destroy there could be something like loose or sets free those who are, who are in bondage. It could be. Uh, or it could be uh, breaking down uh, the kingdoms that the devil has, has raised up. That, that's the kind of stuff that you're, you're hearing. You're like, you're like there's, there's actually an enemy out there. There's somebody who's out to get me. Um, I think, do we go on a little bit more? Yeah, this is how the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed. This should be really scary. There are people out there, some people, who are bent on your destruction. We've got a branding problem. I'm going out there and I'm like, man, how can I make sure that the people who aren't Christians know that I'm a decent guy? That they like me? What can I do? Right? How can I, how can I bring them along so that they know that, that I'm cool and I'm okay and, and I'm good? Well, if we take John seriously, there's actually people out there who hate you, who hate us. They are, their power, their life, it comes from the bad guy. And, and, and it gets revealed in a specific way. The one, the one who doesn't uh, acknowledge and, and, and trust Jesus, you know, that person ends up being the kind of person who doesn't love his brother or sister. And John's language is going to get even more intense in a second, but this is the second thing in your note sheets. God gives his children an ability to love. The devil, devil gives his children a life of hate. When you, when, you, when you say, no, Jesus, I'm not, I'm not going to go that way, um, something starts to happen to the heart where it gets even more bitter, even more corrupt. It gets filled with jealousy, shame, and rage, is what we're going to talk about in a second. And suddenly, you find that you're a person of hate, a person whose life is characterized by division and sometimes violence. The stakes are really high, is what John's saying. This isn't, this isn't fun times that there's actually a war going on and there's actually an enemy and some of those enemy pe- are people. 
I want to be um, clear here. Uh, some people will read this text and, and assume that anyone who's never trusted in Jesus is automatically like a child of the devil. I don't think that's the case. I think historically, if we're sitting there with John and we're thinking about what it's like to have seen these people come and, and utterly reject Jesus as the, as the way to know the Father, he's looking at people who have hardened themselves. They were probably people who maybe even knew Jesus or had heard about him and, and said, no, I want nothing to do with that. And I want to I fight and destroy that. I think that's, a very, that's a, probably a smaller subsection of the people out there who do or don't believe in Jesus, um, or don't believe in Jesus. I think there's a lot of people, maybe some here, who are like, Jesus sounds pretty cool. I don't know what I think about him, and I certainly don't know what I think about that resurrection stuff. That seems kind of wacky, but he seems like a decent guy. I'm not sure how I feel about him just yet. That is not, I don't think, who, who John's talking about. Those are, those are solid folks, and those are people we want to sort of reach out to. <laughs> like, like, okay. But, but there are people, there are people who really are people of hate. So what do we do with that? Let's go back to the text. Don't be like Cain who originated from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? He did it because his own works were evil while his brothers were righteous. Uh, if you don't know the story, Cain and Abel, it's like, um, you know, the first murder in the Bible. The Bible's chock full of murder. Uh, that's why we send our children out of the service, um, because we don't want them to find out just how violent and, and really honest about life, you know, the Bible is. We, we wait for them to get a little older so they can handle it, because the Bible's definitely rated R, probably maybe even NC-17 if they still have that. There's a lot going on here. But the very beginning of, of, the, of the, the murdering that goes on in the Bible is Cain and Abel. And if you know this story, you know that, uh, that, that, that Cain um, gives an offering to God, and God's like, no, that's not what I want. His brother gives an offering to God, and God's like, nailed it. And instead of going, hey, Abel, what should I do to get in with God? He's like, I want to kill you. <laughs> he, he looks, at, it, he looks at, at, at Abel, and Abel's doing uh, things sort of God's way. And instead of, instead of um, coming to a place of like, hey, I, um, I need to, to change the way I'm doing things. I need to, no, instead he's like, he's like yeah, I'm, I hate having you around because every time I see you, I'm reminded of my own inadequacies. Every time I see you, I'm filled up with shame. And honestly, I'm sick and tired of you walking around have, being, being right, being everything good for you, and me caught up in, the, in this place, and I am so angry, I'm so sick of it, I can't bear to see you. I, I need to erase you, I need to move you out of the way so I don't have to deal with you anymore. And he literally kills his own brother. His works were evil. His brother's works were righteous. And that bothered him so much, he took out the long knife and did the dirty work. I don't know a lot of people like that. That's not my, um, it's not my, it's not my peer group. Uh, when I'm hanging out with my friends, I don't know a lot of people who are ready to stab me. I, I hope, I hope. Uh, I don't know people who are ready to stab me in the back because um, I'm, you know, I, whatever they wish that they were or something like that. But, but John's saying, no, 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 that's a real thing. That's a real thing that happens. It's a real kind of person out there. There are people who get so consumed by jealousy, rage, shame, that they, are will- that they hate you. They are out for your destruction. My daughters have a, uh, a song that they, they've learned at Christian preschool. It goes, 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'll be uh, soloing in the worship team next week. So make sure you come out for that. It's going to be really good. Um, That's actually from uh, Galatians. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self. It's easier when I'm saying it. Self-control. You know, if you go to Galatians, right after that it says, against such there is no law. There's no law. You're never going to find a law against love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. No, no, no one's going to go in the government and be like, we've got to outlaw any, any expressions of joy. It's never going to happen. You know what does happen? People are out there who see people who are loving, joyous, patient, kind, gentle, and they hate them because of it. It causes them shame, jealousy, rage. A Christian kind of being those things, just trying to live out that life, that that very simple attitude of life causes hate. Hate so violent, so, so powerful that John thinks it leads to violence and murder. You heard about the, the alt-right? The alt-right is the alternative right. So in American politics, there's a left and a right. Wait, left and a right. Um, and, and now it used to, and so the way that people used to think about it was that the right um, became, over the last 25, 30 years, became more and more associated with uh, Christians, people of faith. Right, uh, for whatever reason, um, probably some social issues, people of faith tended to, to align more with a conservative um, and so we've seen uh, the, the numbers of Democrats who are not people of faith rising and, and, and the people and number of Republicans who are people of faith r- rising as well. Um, and, and so that's a thing. But what's gone on, there, there's actually this, this element, this group of people who consider themselves conservative. And they hate Christians. They hate conservative Christians. You know Why? Because conservative Christians practice too much love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you do those things, you're never going to get anything done. These uh, members of the alt-right, um, not all of them, but some of them, some of the fringier ones, they, um, they, they, they long for the day when Christians are wiped out and moved away from uh, the conservative or Republican party, because then finally we can get things done. Finally, we're going to have people in charge who are willing to take out the long knives and get it done, because what's most important is achieving the agenda, and, and have, that's, that's where they are in life. Alternatively, um, on the, uh, the other side, there's uh, people in, um, especially nowadays, people who align themselves or consider themselves allies of the LGBTQIA plus community, um, or communities who look at Christians and think a bunch of intolerant bigots. We've got to wipe them out. They're, they're, they're sitting there with their, their love, their joy, their peace, their kindness, and they're oppressing, oppressing people with their goodness. And we've got to get rid of them. The sad fact, friends, is that people hate us. And they hate us more when we do what we're supposed to do. So we got that branding problem. 
And if we're honest um, with what John says, we, we shouldn't be shocked that people hate us. It shouldn't be a surprise. Because we're actually trying to say that the world is in such a way and live in such a way that those who have rejected Christ and have aligned themselves against him, they just want us gone. So the next thing in your note sheets, the children of God cannot do anything to make the children of the devil love them. This is really hard. It's hard for me uh, because I, I don't know. I love atheists. And again, not all atheists are children. I'm just saying that there are out there children of the devil. Um, I, I, I love agnostic people. Um, I'm a nerd. I like ideas, right? So I like to battle with people who have different views and different philosophies. And some of my, some of my best friends are people who are very far uh, from the Christian faith. And I love being with them. And I love, and, and, and what's, what's so funny is that the more I'm with them, the more I want them uh, to, to like and be attracted to who we are and what we do. And, 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 and anyone that they're associated with, all of their friends, I want to be the guy where they look and they're like, they're like, yeah, 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 I, I'm, I'm interested. I want to see how, this, what this Jesus thing is. And, and friends, that's all great. That's wonderful. But you must never get the the idea that all the niceness and all the kindness and all the gentleness is going to work with everybody. It's not. There are people out there who no matter what you do and who you are and what you say, so long as you stick with Jesus, are going to want to see you dead. It's an upper sermon, real happy one. Yeah, talking about hate talking about pain, talking about division. So here's that, that scene, right? If we're, if we're reading this text and we're hearing it the way that, that John kind of um, brought it out, uh, we're like, well, what, what do we do, right? We know that we're children of God. We know that there are children of the devil out there. We know that that's happening. So what's next? What, where do we go from here? Like, how do, we, how do we deal with this? Because check it out. Let's say that this is all true, right? That there's actually people out there who want to destroy us, who hate us, they're origins of the devil, and they're like bent on destroying the church. What can the church do? What can you do? What's your weapon to defend yourself, right? Because it seems like what you'd want to do is like, oh, you're going to come for me? Well, let's go, man, and get to work, right? But, but wait, we can't. Because of the whole love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control thing. We're literally defenseless. If we agree that loving the enemy is not going to do a whole lot if they're really out for our destruction, uh, then, boy, our hands seem tied, right? What do we do? How do we, we're, we're, we're caught in a situation where it just doesn't seem like there's anything we can do, any, any activity that, that Christians can undergo or, 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 or partake in that is going to give them purchase against this, this, this focused enemy. With that all in mind, if we can't live with peace, what are we going to do? Listen to this last thing that John says. This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has the good things available in the world and sees a brother or a sister in need and doesn't care, how is God's love living in him? My little children, let's not love in words or speech, but in action and truth. 
it's this awesome moment where John, he, he sees what's going on, right? There's, he recognizes there's forces against the church. And then he starts to reflect on who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And if you don't know, it's, it's very simple. God gave himself in self-sacrificial love so that we could have his life with him. God puts Jesus in a place where he's on the cross. And he lays down his life so that all, anyone who trusts and believes in him can come and have that life too. And John says, that's the model. That's what the church is going to look like. That's what we're going to do. We're going we're to imitate that love. Why? Well, first off, it, it's kind of the way the world is. It's the way the world's structured. If God is really God and Jesus is really the, the view of the Father, then just to be in keeping with the way the universe has been made, we should be living as he lived. We should be imitating his life. Yeah, for sure. But think about what happens next. Do you notice how quickly... How quickly it goes from Jesus laid down his life. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Notice it does not say lay down our lives for people we've never met. I'm not saying that's not a bad thing. It's wonderful. Just saw Dunkirk yesterday. That was a good movie. Really intense. Um, and I was sitting there watching and just, and, and, you know, you feel this, like, this incredible wow that people would do these things, these little small acts of heroism for others. That's a beautiful thing. Don't want to knock it. That's not what John's talking about. He's talking about laying down your life for your brothers and sisters, the other children of God, the church, right? If someone in the church has the good things available in the world and sees a brother or sister in the church in need and doesn't care, well, then how's that love, that self-sacrificial love living in him? It's not. Don't love in words or speech, but in action and truth. It's easy. I'm a, I'm a talker. That's like uh, my, I mean, some would disagree, but probably my only gift. Um, some would say I have no gifts. But, but if I do, talking is probably it. Um, I can just... And I've noticed that um, I like to say things like, I love you, man. Which is weird for the older people. Um, older people look and they're like... Yeah, you probably shouldn't say that. That's weird. Um, again, like I was watching Dunkirk, and I was like just imagining what it would be like after the, the battle's over. Like, hey, buddy, have a cigarette. I love you, man. Not something you'd see in the 1940s, especially in England. But we've changed, and that's okay. I'm fine with that. That's neat. But that's, that's, that's one thing. You just love and love, love, love. John says don't do that. Love in action and love in truth. Why? Let's just suppose it's true that the enemy is out there and the enemy wants to destroy us. What is our one defense? We can't strike first. We can't be violent. We can't beat them up. But we do have the family of faith, the community of faith. We have the fact that, that it, you know, like, so, what, the couple... There was, there was like a baker or somebody who didn't want to bake a cake for someone else. And so apparently this was the greatest horror that had ever been visited on humanity. And so that person was, you know, sued and their, uh, their, um, their store was taken away from them and, and, and blah, blah, blah. Their lives were ruined and destroyed, right? Well, if the, if the world comes after you for that because they hate you, your recourse is the people next to you. They're the ones who have resources who are like, oh, you're in trouble? I'm going to help you out. I, I translate um, 
the, the good things available in the world, because really, I mean, it's not just stuff. It's not just stuff that John's talking about. It's like anything that you, can, that you can get that has value in this place. I mean, it could be everything from status and power to, um, to stuff, to uh, good standing, to um, political connections. It could be a lot of things. So imagine that, you know, uh, someone's going after someone in the church because, man, they hate the church. And there's somebody in the church who happens to, I don't know, work for law enforcement and who can kind of give some advice or help out, happens to be a lawyer and can protect them, or it can ha- happens to be what have you. The church is the place where love in action protects the body. Everybody in the church is protected by everybody else in the church. Love, it turns out, when you self-giving love and you put it into a community, it becomes a natural bulwark against the hatred and violence of the enemy. We can live as people of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control without being destroyed all the time. When John, uh, this, is, this is the big picture, so as we go forward, when we think about what John's doing, remember, the context is this. John is thinking about love in terms of God's self-giving love being the way that Christian community becomes the safe bulwark and, and, and the, 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 the kingdom of God on earth defending us against those who seek to destroy us. It's not, woohoo, love and unicorns and rainbows kind of love. It's love because, man, the stakes are high. And so the last thing uh, in your note sheets is this. Love the church first. Love the church first. Now, a caveat there. Not love the church more than God. Not love the church more than your spouse. Um, but yeah, love the people of the church before everybody else out there. It, it's, it's, an, it's an important thing because uh, what you're doing is you're, are, you're, you're their protection. You're their shield, their defense. You're the one who can give them a job or, or help pick them up. You're the one who can give them encouragement in the face of, of, of damaging words and damaging ideas. You're the one who holds them in the power of the Spirit. That has some pretty profound implications. If John's right, if John's right, and that love really is love and action and truth is God's way of, of pr- protecting the church and keeping the church whole and safe in the midst of a, of a cosmic war, that has some pretty profound implications. For example, let's say you're here and you're not quite sure about Jesus. You need to get off the fence. You need to get off the fence. Because there is a cosmic war going on. It is the children of God versus the children of the devil. And if you wait too long, and you burden your heart in too many ways, you might find yourself on the wrong side of that team. So do yourself a favor and get serious about deciding what you think about who Jesus is. I would love to talk to you about that. Because I, I, um, I love talking to people who aren't sure and, 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 and giving them uh, you know, what the scriptures say and, and ideas and and, and even um, arguments for, for why that we can believe these things. I'm, I'm all about that. Because you don't want to end up on the wrong side of that fence. We, uh, we have a commitment problem in our culture. Um, did you guys know that the, the, uh, the age of first marriage keeps increasing? Right? You knew that? Uh, I think so, like, in the 1950s, it was something like 22 years old. 
uh, for a, a man and 18 for a woman. And now that's uh, 29 for a man and uh, 27 for a woman. Did you know that? A lot of people are looking for a lot of outs. You know, like, oh, I'm kicking the tires to see if I like the car. Like, uh, I'm not sure I want to jump all the way in. And that's kind of, that's pervasive throughout our culture. Um, and it also applies to church. People like to bounce around. People like to be anonymous. They don't want to be too connected, too committed. They want to make sure that there's, you know, options out there. I get that. I do. And I'm not saying that, you know, you got to, like, just walk into a random place and be like, this is where I'm planting my flag. I'm not saying that. Um, but I am saying that if you're not committed to a community of faith and you take John seriously, you're in danger. Because when the chips fall, who's got your back? If you aren't committed to a community of faith and, and John's right, you're not going to be there when the person down the pew from you is in danger. You're not going to be there to help them. You're going to miss an opportunity to be and live out what love was meant to be for the church, to be that self-giving love of God to someone who needs it desperately. And so if you're not, uh, if you're not a committer, I get it. I understand. But I do think you need to, th- to stop and, and think, maybe it's time for me to plant my flag. Don't have to be here, but it needs to be somewhere. Because the community of faith needs you and vice versa. Now, there's another group of people here. Um, there are people here who uh, are in need. They're under attack. But they're quiet. They're quiet about it. They don't want anyone to know. Um, this would be, my family is like this. Uh, my, my parents and I, um, we, we're, we come from a long line of wasps. Uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. And one of the things that wasps are, are known for is just kind of like grinning and bearing it and sort of pretending like everything's fine even when everything's falling apart. That's sort of what we do. So we could be in total crisis mode. No one else would ever know. We just kind of like soldier through and uh, just wait and we put on a happy face for the world. That is a terrible, terrible way of going about life. And it is not the life of a transparent community. If you are in need in some way, if you are under assault in some way, you have got to let the community of faith know. It is why God gave us this place, so that other people can bail you out, so they can help you and walk with you and be with you. It does not mean they give you something necessarily. It could, but it could also be that they're just with you, so that you're not alone. If you are in need, do not keep your mouth closed. If you need someone you can trust, I think there's actually laws preventing me from telling other people your secrets. Like, if you're like, Tom, I murdered someone. Like, I think I'd be protected. Like, I wouldn't have to testify against you in a court of law. I don't know. Don't find a lawyer before you confess that to me. Um, But (laughs) it's a possibility. And look, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. I am a mandatory reporter, so there's that. But for the most part... I'm a lockbox, man. I'm not going to share your stuff, okay? Instead, I'm going to try and find a way for you to walk through it. And that's how I know everyone in this place is. So if you're in need, don't keep your mouth shut. Open it. Share. Be transparent. Last but not least, if you're one of those people who has the good things that are available in this world, give them away. And and if you want to know where to give them, give them to the church first. 
Give them to the place where, where those who are under assault from the enemy are desperately in need. You know, we have a benevolent, uh, benevolent offering every month where we take up a second offering in addition to our regular offering, and all that money goes um, to just those who are in need in this community. And I, I can't, I mean, we, we do it confidentially, so I, mean, I can't share those things, but I can tell you that it has blessed so many people in so many ways. The, the, your gifts, your generosity to people in this community has made radical, radical changes in the world. If you have the good things in this world, you're connected politically, or you, know, you have status in the world, or you have a business, or you uh, have jobs available, love the church first. Because this place needs it. All right. I think that if Doug were here, he'd probably be like, that's not what I wanted. When I said I wanted you to talk about love, I thought I wanted to be a little more squishy, a little more like, some more weeping, some more... He likes to cry, that's fine. Just because guys cry is a good thing. I mean, Scott's a weeper, it's fine. It's great, it's really cool. Um, So, but but we we are going there, because John's going to go there. But we do need to know, and, and this, is a, this is from the beginning, love the church first. That's why, um, that's one of the reasons that God showed us how to give self-sacrificially in Christ so that we would self-sacrificially give to each other because the stakes are high and the enemy is out there. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, I pray that we'll be... Um, people uh, who are your children, that we will trust in Jesus, that we will know him, and in that have new life, irrevocable new life, that gives us the ability and power to love as you love, self-sacrificially. I pray that our church will be a place where um, that takes place consistently over and over, that we, that our walls will be a bulwark against the schemes and works of the enemy, that we will be undoing his works um, as Christ did in our self-giving love to each other as we imitate you. God, if there's anyone here who, who is, is on the fence, God, please um, prick their heart uh, so that they um, come to trust you. If there are those who are, are concerned about committing and aren't sure uh, where to plant the flag, God, give them uh, vision and wisdom to plant the flag and be in a place where they can give and receive um, freely and in love. God, for those who are in need, I pray that they will have the courage to be transparent to open up and, and, and let the community know what they need and that the community would rise up to provide. God, for those who have the good things available to the world, may, may we um, give with open hands and open hearts to see your glory done to protect your people and love. All this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.